0: So, today is Super Bowl Media Day. All day since 12 o'clock on on NFL Network, they've been having Zoom meetings and Zoom conferences with the players, coaches, um, all stuff like that. It's going to be media night in 10 minutes. Normally, you'd have everyone in one place, but because of COVID, Chiefs are not traveling until Saturday. So, it really only gives them one night in a hotel. But if I had to bet, Maybe an alarm will just magically be pulled, you know, because you you gotta have that right. If if an alarm is not pulled at a hotel, is it really the Super Bowl? Um, but most importantly, today starts Black History Month, and what we're gonna do is every day, and this is James's project. He's going to research and come up with two strong, amazing Af- African Americans, and he's going to tell us some facts about them, what what they've accomplished, what have they done, what are they known for, and stuff like that. So, James, take it away.
1: Yes, we're going to start in the world of boxing, and we all heard Muhammad Ali is well regarded with his philanthropy, but long before Muhammad Ali was this boxer by the name of Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson became the first ever black heavyweight champion by, de- by beating an undefeated white boxer, James Jefferson, in 1910. He was the first black um, athlete at the time to deem the fight of the century, making over sixty five thousand dollars back in the day, which was big then, which now which would account to one point eight million. Wow. He also had he also was the first African American black African American man to openly date white woman and became famous. He also endorsed various products. He was the first black athlete to be prominent featured in media during
0: the nineteen tens. Wow, um, I never heard of this man, but he sounds like an incredible man. Is he still with us?
1: Unfortunately, no. Um, he's um, he's no longer with us. Uh, this happened back in nineteen ten. Um, passed away in nineteen thirty six. So he's no longer with us. <laughs>
0: wow, but he he sounds like a remarkable human being, you know, and we need. We need people like this. We need we need guys that and women that are not afraid to stand up for for what they believe in, whether it's controversial or not. You know, I'm I'm sure at that time a lot of people was not thrilled that he was dating outside of his race. I'm sure he got I'm sure he got a lot of threats. I'm sure he got a lot of words. I'm sure he's been into a lot of fights. And the fact that he just took no crap from anybody, I think that's fantastic. Um Yeah. What was his what was his boxing record?
1: He went undefeated. He went actually he had nine wins, one loss, but he but he was undefeated at one point before he lost again in a re, in a rematch to James Jefferson, which was a fixed match, which then later got overturned. So he ended his career. Undefeated at 10 and zero, which is a big deal
0: back in the day. So, why was it? Why was it fixed? Did he get paid to throw, throw the fight?
1: No, it was fixed because they wanted him. They wanted Jack Johnson to lose because they didn't like the fact that he was dating white women. So they wanted to get back at him. So they fixed the fight for him to lose. Before he, and. He was thrown in jail, too, because they threw him in jail because of what they deemed as unlogged, unlawful. And he, they threw him in jail because apparently it was, back in the day, it was illegal for him to be deemed interracial. And they tried, they didn't like the fact that he was being bigger, so they tried to find charges to put up against him. And he went in jail and died in jail before later being pardoned by former President Donald Trump
0: in 2018. Wow. That's... Yeah. That's... That's awesome, Mom. Tell us about the second person. Well, the second person,
1: I want to go away from... I want to go away from sports because doing two sports at the same time would be different. So I want to go into inventing. Black people have been in, have been a very big part of inventing. And did you know that before security systems was invented, an African American nurse named Mary Van Britton Brown she developed the first ever security system in her in the own home that nowadays everyone uses. Everyone uses. She invented a system that used a camera that could slide in into and look through four pee holes in her front door. The camera view would later appear on a monitor so she could survey any potential wants guest. So wow. she was the first person to invent the home security system so that this way cops would be notified who was intruding back in 1956. She unfortunately passed away in the early 90s, so she also, too, is no longer looked up.
0: Wow, so she invented the ring doorbell before yep. it has ever... Wow that's in 1966 wow and a nurse too huh
1: she was a nurse That's she was a nurse so who...
0: what a strong woman man
1: yeah so it's uh just honestly guys it's one of the things that i want to make emphasis that we in the black community we have contributed a lot through history and I just want to make sure throughout every day, there will be a sports figure and there'll be someone non-sports figure. And you'll get that every day through the month of February as we honor Black History Month. You know what?
0: Another person I have not heard of, um, but she she sounds awesome. He's awesome. And we're going to hear about a lot more people. This, this is going to be an everyday thing through February. So, even if there's one night that we just don't want to record, we're still going to do this part. And it's, you know what, it's important. And this way, you know, James, James learns about his culture. I learn, and I think we all need to learn. It's important. It's not just important to black people. It, it should be important to everyone. Because at the end of the day, we truly are all people. And you know what? It's it's twenty twenty one men. It's it's time for people to stop being racist. It's time for people to stop being ignorant. It's you know people shouldn't get called, you know, house and or shouldn't be shamed of dating outside their race. It's awful. It's wrong. Let's love each other. And you know what? We we gotta stop this bullshit. Um, now we're gonna get into our guest, his name is Alex Cohen, he does play-by-play for a triple-A team, so we're also gonna talk about all that, and uh, a lot of other fun things.
1: Absolutely, your boy was on the Madison Miller podcast, and don't worry, there were no picks that were discussed. So, neither stuff. me nor
0: her revealed our Super Bowl pick. Good stuff, good stuff. So, today started Black History Month. You know, um, we just had the passing of Hank Aaron. You know, and there's been so many other great black men to play in this game. Guys like, you know, Satchel Paige, CeCe Zabathia, Curtis Granderson, you know, Bob Gibson, and so many others. So how, you know, Jackie Robinson. So how important are are they to baseball? And you know, what do you, what do you think about Black History Month as itself?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, with the passing of Hank Aaron, you really have to think about how important you know African American history is when it comes to the history of baseball. And, Yeah, I was talking about it on social media last week with the passing of Hank Aaron. I mean, if there is a Mount Rushmore of baseball and you're combining what they do on the field with what they were able to achieve off the field, you know, there, there's four people. Three of them are probably African-American. For me, you have Hank Aaron, you have Willie Mays, and you have Barry Bonds, and, and those are three of the four. And the fourth one, to me, is probably Roberto Clemente. So you have you know, four players, four non-white players who are historically probably the, the most important when it comes to baseball's history. Bob Gibson's probably in there, too. So... If you're talking about the history of African-Americans in baseball, you have three of arguably the top five players of all time, and notably the best statistical starting pitcher of all time when it comes to complete games and strikeouts and pitch for the year. So the history of African-Americans in baseball is really important. And you brought up some of the names recently, Curtis Granderson, uh, Ryan Howard was a big one for me because I grew up in Philadelphia, Ryan Howard. A rookie of the year and MVP. Yeah, you look at baseball now, and it's just a, a little bit different. So, Ken Griffey Jr. in that as well. So, you you want to be able to look at African Americans historically in baseball and try to bring that back to the present tense. And I think there's no better time to really think about that than here, at Black History Month. As we're getting into the 2021 season, which is really important to baseball after a 2020 season that was delayed because of COVID 19 and, and and the pandemic, and now now we're getting to a point where we're starting to talk about bringing baseball back in a normal capacity. There are 154 games as Major League Baseball proposed the other night. 162 games it, it usually is. So now that baseball is sort of at the forefront of people's mind, if we could put the, the pandemic in the past. Right around Black History Month, it's everything, it's kind of coming to fruition when it comes to baseball being at the top of people's mind. Hey Alex, this is James, the other half of the sports dudes, Um, myself, I am um, African-American myself, and as African-American, the, like, baseball is probably out of all the sports, between baseball and the National Hockey League, those are the two sports that don't have a lot of African-American representation, um... I feel, and um, this is kind of important to me, that in order to grow the sports, I feel like a lot of like, African-Americans make an important thing in sports, not just um, the list you just mentioned, but you look at like a guy like a Tim Anderson. Um, he's a guy that's very fun to watch. Um, you look at him when like T.C. Tabathia pitched, he was a fun guy to watch. I and mean, Aaron Judge, who, is, who also is, is half-black, um, there are, like, black people, I feel like we, they need to be more of us in the sport of misery. baseball so that it gets it gets to be known that it's a great sport. Baseball is a fantastic sport, and it needs to be recognized as such. I, I, I completely agree with you, and I actually think it's more from the top down. It's not just the players. You need more African American executives. You need more African American media relations directors. You need more African American scouts, baseball operations. You need more people who are African American in in that realm. You need more African American writers. You need more African American broadcasters. um, You know, this past year, Adam Giardino, who's a minor league baseball broadcaster, started a fund, the Black. Baseball broadcaster fund to help raise money for African-American broadcasters, and it's really minority broadcasters, not just African-American, but Asian-American, LGBTQ, uh, women broadcasters, um, to break into the industry where they wouldn't get a chance 10, 15 years ago. So, yes, I completely agree that. You know, African-Americans in baseball, you brought up Aaron Judge and Tim Anderson, Springer as well, Uh, but it really starts from the top up. You need more African-American executives and people who are not only in the clubhouse but also scouting this talent uh, for baseball operations and scouts, and then the people who cover it in broadcasters, in your newspaper, blogging. You just need more African-Americans involved from the media aspect to the baseball aspect and and further on, so I think it's more of a, a cumulative thing.
0: Um, African-American players have decreased from 13% during the start of the 21st century to today, 7.7%, with people of color making up 42.5% of Major League Baseball players. The league has one of the best diversity scores among the four major sports. And, you know, I really like what CC Sabathia and, you know, an- another big name was Adam Jones. You know, he's now in Japan. Um... But what, what CeCe's doing with the Players' Alliance, I, I think that's so great. Not only will it help get the youth in baseball, you know, because cause let's face it, right? A lot of kids see see how long it takes to, to get to major league baseball. You got NBA right away. NFL right away. You know, so that's, that's another thing that I think need, needs to be done to get more people playing. And guys like Tatis... I think that's great for the game, and some people still hate that. So, how do you think Major League Baseball can not only get better representation, but just grow the game to help it go past the average age of 50 years old?
1: Just have fun. I mean, I'm, I'm a big backflip proponent. <laughs> the more backflips, the better the baseball is. And, and, and you know, if you're, if you're a pitcher and you have a pivotal strikeout, this a moonwalk back your way to the dugout. I don't care. Just have fun. And I think that, you know, when I was growing up and, yeah, you know, I talked about Ryan Howard, but Jimmy Rollins, I mean, he was an African American yeah. shortstop for the Philadelphia Phillies, won an MVP. He was my favorite player because, you know, he had fun. He had swag. He had the dreads. He had great shoes. He, uh, he, he stole 30 bags. He had 20 triples. Like, I, I'm just looking for. Players to have fun, and it's not just African American players having fun. You brought up Fernando Tatis Jr. back flipping to the moon. Um, you have certain pitchers. Noah Sindergaard's a big one for me. Just have a lot of fun out there on the mound. So whatever race or skin color you are, you just have to change the tempo of the game. I mean, we don't want any more two to one, three hour, forty five minute games with six or seven pitching changes. Yeah, I want home runs. I want ninety mile per hour, now ninety nine mile per hour fastball. And I think that is – it could be done by anybody. So just a a, a more fun contemporary game that – you know, the plotting two-to-one, three-hour, 50-minute game, that's no longer. Fans don't like that anymore. You, know, you watch that, and now fans are going to watch basketball. They're going to watch football, which is more high-octane, high-intensity. And you need baseball to be a little bit more like that. You need 100-mile-per-hour fastballs. You need 450-foot home runs. So I think baseball as a game just needs to be a little bit more exciting, and they're, it's trending in the right direction. With with Tim Anderson having more fun backflipping on doubles, uh, with Fernando Tatis Jr. being the the face of baseball at 22 years old, I'm pretty sure he's now on MLB at the show the cover. So just having guys like that who have a flair for the game and actually enjoy being on the diamond and don't adhere to the quote-unquote unwritten rules. I mean, come on. I mean, if they were actually important, they'd be written. They're not, so they're not important. Just you know, buck the traditions of baseball and start having more fun. That 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 would be my I guess my my ultimate goal in getting the youth and uh, you know, people like my eight to ten year old nephew, you know, <laughs> getting involved in baseball, just having fun. Um last thing about this before we get into the fun stuff, um one of the things that that they have that the that baseball could do. I mean, they did hire Ken Vicky Jr. Um, I feel like enough to how to into to, I guess, get a lot of the use especially the African-Americans is, if you look, look around, if you look at the neighborhoods, there's so many basketball courts. There's a lot of fields out there for football. How about you have, like, fields in urban youth communities for, you know, for kids to play so it's, um, a disembodied franchise, so that this yeah, way to can get the youth to get involved. Yeah, uh, I, I think that Curtis Granderson started that in Chicago, where he funded you know, inner-city baseball fields, and also funded a college baseball stadium at UIC. So I think Curtis Granderson uh, sort of sparked that movement in getting those high facilities In those underfunded communities, I think Curtis Granderson did a great job of that. But yes, I mean, if you go into the inner city of Chicago, there are more backyard football games and five-on-five basketball games than there are pickup baseball games. Uh, You know, you watch a movie like The Sandlot, and and those are ideals of the past, and you want to make that more the present and the future, where you can have a pickup baseball game. It doesn't have to be nine-on-nine, but it can be seven-on-seven. And you could have somebody who plays second base and shortstop, and you could have two outfielders, but it's still a baseball game. You know, where I was growing up, I was on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Uh, I I lived in a townhome community, and there was an old abandoned mansion that they knocked down, and and it kind of looked like the shape of a baseball diamond. That's where we went back, and we played all day, all night during the summer. They just don't really see that anymore when it comes to the youth and baseball now in you know, 2020, 2021. So uh, just bringing back the ability for to have those backyard baseball games, to have that style outside the atmosphere. And I think Curtis Granderson uh, is one of the many who's done a really nice job of bringing baseball to those communities.
0: Um, so you do play-by-play for a A team. How did yep. you get into play-by-play? And how did you get with minor league baseball?
1: Uh, So I got into play-by-play. I uh, I grew up in in a large family. I have three older siblings, two older brothers, uh, younger uncles. So they would always play the video games, and they wouldn't let me play. So in order to make my presence felt. I would broadcast those games. I needed to make sure they hear me. They would ignore me and not let me play. So I just figured I'd be a little bit louder than them just to make my presence felt. (laughs) Uh, And that kind of just went into high school where uh, a couple buddies and I started the sports broadcasting club, and, and, and I actually broadcasted more football, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, field hockey, softball, soccer in high school because I played baseball. Uh, but I knew from, from the get-go that I wanted to get into baseball play-by-play. Grew up a Darnville Phillies fan. Uh, we listened to games on the radio. We didn't watch as much V because my mom and my dad and my grandpa, they were big fans of Perry Cowles, who was the radio voice of the Philadelphia Phillies. So, he was more my soundtrack the summer, and we just listened to him for you know, as many of the 162 games as we possibly could. So I did a sports broadcasting club in high school, went to college, uh, was going to walk on and play baseball throughout my arm, uh, then did student radio and started doing play-by-play for baseball games, football games, basketball games. Uh, my summer going into my junior year of college, I got hooked up with an internship with the Lehigh Valley Iron Figs, AAA affiliate of the Phillies. Uh, I was a uh, broadcasting and media relations assistant. My first job was getting the broadcasters chicken sandwiches from the concession stands because they didn't like the press box. So I kind of started from the bottom, now we're here. Uh, I, I started doing that, then more pitch charts, then social media, pre-game, post-game interviews, pre-game, post-game shows, and then in my second year, uh, I did more play-by-play, so did the play-by-play for a couple games there, did play-by-play in college, uh, did my first job out of college was in independent ball with the Gateway Grizzlies, I was their number two broadcaster, parlayed that experience into a job with the Huntsville Stars, AA affiliate for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, was their play-by-play broadcaster for two years. Then, actually, I took a year out of broadcasting. I worked in the media relations department with the Oakland Athletics. And specifically, I was in the broadcast booth as a broadcast assistant with Ken Korak and Vince Petronio, uh, who are among the best broadcasters in the entire country when it comes to baseball. So I learned a lot from them. Uh, after that, I went out to Australia, called games to the Australia Baseball League, went back to the United States, and started from rookie ball. I was the... Uh, Idaho Falls Chuckers broadcaster, they were the rookie league affiliate for the Kansas City Royals at the time. Uh, one summer there, then two years with the Bowling Green Hot Rods, single-A affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays, and now uh, entering my fourth year with the Iowa Cubs, triple-A affiliate for the Chicago Cubs. So it's been a long and winding road. It hasn't necessarily uh, been a linear path, but you know, I've uh, crossed off all my time zones in states and states and different countries and uh, just broke into baseball in 2009 and haven't looked back since. Now, since you are the affiliate for the Chicago Cubs, I feel like the big league team, and you don't have to answer this because obviously you work in the organization. What's the morale as far as like the teams are in? In What's the morale for the Chicago Cubs? Because it doesn't seem like a team that's looking to do anything. It looks like they're, they're going to rely on a lot of their young players. If that's the case, I don't know how that's going to make your broadcasting experience. I know you're you're in you're in AAA, so I'm guessing it doesn't matter. But I feel like, like when you're in AAA, you're kind of borderline ready for the big leagues, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because like the real potentials are in your AA and, and A affiliates. Like your AAA is basically like one step to the big league. So how would that work out with Chicago? <laughs> Well, it really depends on the year, and it depends where the farm system is. You know, in 2018, my first year with the Iowa Cubs, I mean, we were terrible. I mean, we were 32 games under 500. Uh, we had a lot of players who were up and down and weren't necessarily happy to be with the Iowa Cubs. And who could blame them? I mean, they were 31, 32 years old, spending sometimes in the big leagues, sometimes in A. They already had their taste of the big leagues. They didn't want to be in Iowa, which is completely understandable. Uh, and then you have 2019, where we won the PCL American Northern Division. In, in the regular season, and we had more prospects like Jack Short and Trent Giambroni, guys who were trying to make their way up to the big league. and you combine that with a lot of fun rehab appearances. We had Craig Kimbrell for two weeks. We had Wilson Contreras for two weeks. Uh, we had David Bode for two weeks. Uh, Ian Happ was with us for the first uh, two and a half months of the year, he just had such a contagious effect on that locker room because remember, he and half his first round draft pick, he's a guy who made the big leagues at twenty two. He hit the first home run of the entire season in two thousand eighteen in Major League Baseball, and yeah. he comes down to Iowa to work out some some kinks. And yeah, you know, he just brought a real professionalism to the locker room, and I think everybody fed off that. So it really depends on what year the organization is in and where the farm system is at that time. To answer your question about where the Chicago Cubs are, it, it, it's tough because you look at the, the St. Louis Cardinals, they just got Nolan Arenado, and they just traded five prospects for them, none of them in their, in their top ten prospects, and you combine that with Paul Goldschmidt, that's one of the best one-two punches, and not only the National League Central when it comes to the lineups, but the entire National League and all of baseball. But people tend to forget, you look at the Cubs lineup. They still have Javi Baez. They still have Anthony Rizzo. They still have Chris Bryant. So you have three MVP caliber players in the middle of that order. And you still have Wilson Contreras. And understandably so, you dealt you darker, so the morale's a little bit low, but. You look at the Chicago Cubs lineup, You know what it would be day one right now, Yeah, Ian Half in center field, Jock Peterson in left field, Jason Hayward in right field, Anthony Rizzo at first, Nico Horner at second, Bobby Baez at short, Chris Bryant at third, Wilson Contreras doing the catching. That's still, in my opinion, one of the better lineups in the National League. Now, I might be a little bit biased, but uh, I, I think that people are so hooked on to this rebuilding phase. You look at that lineup on paper, they're still dangerous. So, I'm not sure if they're in a rebuilding phase. Do I think that they'll have some difficulty with the Cardinals? I do. Uh, but the Reds have given away some of their talent. The Pirates have certainly given away some of their talent. And the Brewers have lost some of their talent. So, you have an opportunity to make some inroads to the National League Central still? Um,
0: You know, with with Paul Goldschmidt, no, I mean with Nolan Arenado going to the Cardinals, you know, to pay a team $50 million... Plus, you know, you know, just to get away—that's that's what's wrong with baseball, I think. And just just name name recognition. This might be the best three, four in the lineup, power wise, name wise, since maybe Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz. You know, with with a full that's, season. That's, that's pretty
1: lofty, right there. I mean, they're, they're good. Don't get me wrong, but you you look at. Some of the other teams, I mean, how about in Los Angeles with Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts? How about just down the road in San Diego with yeah, Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr.? How about the New York Yankees with J. Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge? I mean, there's a lot of good three, four punches in the middle of their respective orders. Philadelphia with J.T. Romuto and Bryce Harper, uh, Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies with, with Atlanta. Toronto's now got uh, a good young nucleus. Houston with uh, Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa. Uh, I, I, Toronto, uh, you have to bring up George Springer and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and I mean, there's just a lot of young offensive talent um, in, in a lot of the different organizations. So, um, yeah, it, it, it'll, it'll be definitely interesting. And, and you brought up the, the point of it's wrong with baseball when you have uh, the Colorado Rockies having to pay $50 million to the St. Louis Cardinals, in order to trade their best player. It does seem backwards, doesn't it? It really doesn't make sense to me, but um, there are certain teams that they have ownership groups and they have general managers that are just, they need to be in the phase of rebuilding. They just aren't as financially secure But on the back end, Tampa Bay has done that for the last decade, and yet they're still one of the best teams over the last decade of Major League Baseball. So you can do that
0: and still be successful. There's just a little bit of a smaller margin of error. The reason why I said, you know, next to Manny Manny and Ortiz, because these are two guys that with the full season can most likely hit 40 to 50 home runs each. Plus with a hundred RBIs each at least, if if they both stay healthy, you you named a lot of good pieces, but you know you know judge, judge and John Carl Stanton, I truly discount that because the, will will e- either of them play one hundred and twenty games? You know, Cole, you, you know the rest of them Tatis Machado will will they both hit forty plus home runs each? I'm not sure. You know you know Bellinger. And uh, bets maybe, but j- just for pure power. You know, Man- Manny and Ortiz were pure power guys.
1: Yeah, they, they were you know, among the best one-two punches hitters uh, of my generation. And, and I do think if you look at the Cardinals' lineup, it'll be very interesting to see what Nolan Arenado does outside of Field. Now, I, I think that the stats will translate. But if you look at his split, I mean, Nolan Arenado's a 320 some hitter at Coors Field as a 280 some hitter away from Coors Field, so it, it'll be
0: very interesting to see if his stats do drop off. Well, offense. look it's at also, D- look, look at DJ LeMayu, right? He had yeah. he had his best season his two best seasons with
1: the Yankees. He did. Well, one hundred percent. So. Uh, I'm very curious to see what happens with the Cardinals. I mean, they have two incredible bats in the middle of the order. Uh, They had uh, an ace, a legit ace in Jack Clarity, and a really good back end of the bullpen if everybody stays healthy. So, are the Cardinals probably the team to beat on paper in the Central? I would say yeah, Uh, but 162 games have to happen, or 154 games have to happen, and... Uh, people need to stay healthy. There's hot streaks, there's cold streaks, and we'll see what happens during spring training if everybody can stay healthy. But it'll it'll be an interesting decision. Um, one one of the key with with the Cubs is the fact that it's all about development. And do you think, as as, as announcer for their um, for their AAA affiliate, do you think the Cubs have done a good job in developing their players? I do. Uh, I, I think if you look at their roster right now, I mean, it's not just the Chris Bryant, the Javi Bias, the guys who were first-round draft picks and expected to make the big leagues. How about Kyle Hendricks, the guy who they traded for uh, eight years ago from the Rangers? They, they didn't have to deal much for him, and, and they get a guy who is at least the number two starter in the big leagues, could be an ace for some other teams. And you have guys like David Bodie, who are mid-round draft picks, not expected to make the big leagues at all. Not only did he make the big leagues, he made some big-time contributions in 2019 and 2020. So uh, I, I'm not sure if they have had the overwhelming success in their early first-round draft picks outside of Bias and Bryant. You know, I, I think that they wish they could have gotten a little bit more from Albert Amora. Obviously, Kyle Schwarber had potential, and yet. Bouts with success, but now he's with the Nationals. Um, so you hit two out of your four first-round draft picks there. Um, but I think that they've hit a lot of their mid-round draft picks, and now coming up in the minor league system, you have guys like Tyson Miller, Corey Abbott. Uh, uh, Adver Alzawai who was signed out of Venezuela for ten thousand dollars, and, and he wasn't expected to be a big big league prospect, but you know, he's a top one hundred prospect in all minor league baseball. He's a guy who really jumped onto the scene in two thousand nineteen. So, in terms of those high, you know, high reward, low risk type of prospects I think they've really developed them. But you know,
0: the first round draft picked had varying levels of success. Times like this, I really, really hate being a man. It just makes me sick. Ken Rosendahl just put it on Twitter, exclusive five women detail lewd, unwanted advances from Mickey Calloway, spanning at least five years, three teams. What is going on with the world? Why do men just have to harass women and... I I wasn't going to talk about Porter or anything, but this ties into it. You know, it said three teams, so it's possible with the Mets, possibly with the Indians. You know, how how does this stuff go away? And a, a big question, too, is do you think professional sports cares about women? Because there's so many athletes that do... Terrible, terrible things, but because they're incredibly skilled, they still get to play sports. Uh,
1: I'll start first with the Mets. Um, I, I just pulled up that article as you were talking about. It. I mean, it, it's sickening. It's obvious that it's a, it's a toxic culture spanning from you know, Jared Porter hiring him to you know having a guy like Mickey Callaway as your manager and. I mean, it's not just an isolated incident. I and mean, You hear of uh, of stuff like this, I won't say with every organization, but every year there are more stories and more stories that, that come out. And I think it's cultivated through a toxic environment that, unfortunately, it's not just something that started in 2019, 2020. It, it's ingrained in professional athletes and baseball for you know the last century, half a century. I mean, that's uh, the biggest problem, in my opinion, when it comes to professional sports not treating everybody with respect. And, you know, when it comes to women, with with the steps that, that Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball has taken to get women into executive positions and director positions, you basically go one step forward and now two steps backwards. When are we going to start taking two steps forward and one step backwards? And uh, I, I think a big reason why we could make that progress is making – Everything come to light. Yeah, you know, the more information that you have, the more that you can build upon it and try to fix it. I mean, the more stories that come out about these managers, these uh, executives with power taking advantage of it. Yeah, you know, maybe that changes the mind of, of one executive who was who was treading on the line of that behavior and say, "Man, I, I probably shouldn't do that." Or, "Hey, like I was pretty disrespectful." It's kind of a look in the look in the mirror moment. So. I think it's a slow process. Uh, I think it's it's really tough to read these type of stories, uh, but I think where you make the most growth is bringing these stories to light and having more information and some of the good people stepping up. Oh so um, it, it, it's, it's definitely tough.
0: That I'm, I'm just going to read you uh, a couple things from, from The Athletic. In 2018, Samantha, um, then in parentheses it says, uh, Sue Dunhaman. Maybe that's not her real name. I'm not sure. A reporter based in New York received a surprising Facebook request from Mickey Calloway. Con- convinced it was not actually from the then Mets manager. She left the request pending. A few days later, Calloway saw her in the Mets clubhouse and wanted to know if she was big timing him by not responding. Then, la- later when asked, she gave him her phone number, a request she thought was odd giving It's usually a reporter's job and a tough one at times. Two to three three times a week for a month, he'd send me shirtless selfies. Samantha said, adding that he followed up with something like, now you send me one of you. Then, he would come up to me and massage my shoulders in the dugout when he thought no one was looking. She said for a month, he would text me. Asking for new pictures. I started talking to people who were in the media. That's awful. That's awful. That's gross. That's disgusting, man. And then there's a text. Our sleep doctor in Cleveland said, You should always sleep naked, healthier for your skin. And, and the rest much better. Have to let that perfect skin breathe. Okay time for me to get in my big comfy bed and relax, just have to figure out what method of of relaxation will help me sleep, exclamation point, smiley face, ha, ha. I got, that's brutal, that's just,
1: it's not right, It's, it's, it's gross, it's, it demeans women. It, it puts them in the un- uncomfortable positions. It sets baseball back, and it's uh, it's really a shame that these that these stories are continuing, and examples of this are still happening. Um, and it's upsetting. Um, yeah, just hearing this, man, it's just, ugh, I, I I have. I have no words. Uh, I don't even know how to process this. This, 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 this yeah. I'm I'm this trying event. to do this on the fly, and yeah, it, it, it's difficult because you know I'm in an organization where we have you know multiple you know, women directors. I mean, we have a director of media relations who's a woman. And she does an incredible job, at Shelby Cravens, and you know I I worked with women the majority of my special baseball career. You know, my my first media relations director was a woman, Joe Kasich, who you know, really helped me out when it came to my minor league baseball career and getting me started. And I have the utmost respect for for women who, you know, not only I've come in contact with, but those who have broken into baseball and have to deal with this stuff. And again, it's not an isolated experience. I mean, they they deal with it regularly. I mean, look at their direct messages, look at some of the texts they get. I mean, it's
0: it, 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 I'm speechless. It, it's pretty tough. From looking at the dates, it started in 2015, and the last date, last last February 14th, okay? Happy Valentine's Day. Read the text Callaway sent to another reporter. And they are using fake name smart. Lauren hadn't had any face-to-face interactions with Callaway in five months. She ignored the text. She got another one on April 9th. Call- Callaway asked how she was doing and said hope you guys are doing well and then he, he, he responded by sending her nine pictures including one of them outside shirtless on a property he wrote that he had just purchased in Florida he also sent her one in 2019 when when she showed to a few people and then brushed off and, and then they got the picture he looks like he's a, he's at a construction site but, like, what I don't understand, and if they're not saying anything to protect the women, I fully, fully understand that. But, if any of, of a reporter or someone knows something, and they don't, you know, say like, oh, you're about to interview Mickey Calloway, maybe you might not want to interview him, you don't gotta say why but just strongly suggest maybe you don't want to do that. Why Why can't people do that? And why can't more people have the backs of women? I I, I, I get it. Some women do lie about stuff that happens, but more likely than not, they're not lying. No,
1: more likely than not, this, this happens. There's, time and time again, it's proven that these people of power, whether they're players, whether they're executives, they don't use that power in a positive way and they demean women in the process. And it's not right. I mean, who are we to assume that every allegation isn't doesn't have some semblance of truth? You have to look into every single situation. And I, I, I think that you do have people who champion for women. And I think that you do have journalists who try to do the right thing. But also, you have to be safe. Like, these women have identities in the era of, of social media and in the era of the athletic and, and stories and how fast they circulate. You have to be careful. I mean, there, there's a safety component to this and making sure that these women are, are okay because. If you talk about the actions of a Mickey Calloway, of a famous athlete, of a famous uh, executive, you know, they could have people who will follow them, who will harass them even further. You don't want to have them deal with that. They've already dealt with enough. So. That's awful. Um, yeah, it, it, it's tough to really do it the right way. We, we have to find that balance of making sure that these women are okay, but not also putting them in danger. You're bringing these allegations to light, but you're know, also not bringing more unwanted attention upon them. I mean, it's, it's a Venn diagram. You have to find that middle piece that, that protects the women, but also, you know, unleashes the light of, of what actually is going on in, in, not just major league baseball, but all professional sports. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I I agree 100 percent, man. Man, I derail from have from the question. But uh, listen, we're professionals. You know, we gonna <laughs> you we know, gonna make through. No, no I got, got it. No, I mean, it, you, it's the whole breaking news component. It's something to to really talk about. It's important. It, yeah, that's important
0: why I did difference. it. Like, like it's 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 not fun to talk about, but when when it's something so important, and and especially since where. You know, me and James were big on women in sports. We're, we're big on having respect for women. So I, I, I figured this was too hard to ignore. I hope we didn't put yeah. you in a bad spot.
1: No, I mean, you, you got me in a position where you, you have to talk about it. And, you know, I think that respecting women and making sure that they feel comfortable in their, their work environment at any level whether again baseball law I mean this isn't just an isolated professional baseball type of situation this happens everywhere and that's the most unfortunate part of it all I, I agree um, on a pause, uh, hold, hold, on, fair,
0: hold on hold right? on hold on before we get out of this um whether it's in sports or whether it's at a deli right? How because in in every job there's gonna be at least two women coworkers right so how do we uh-huh. how do we keep women safe because we we don't want them to just be working ar- around women because you know that's let's let let's face it something could maybe possibly happen too but but you know they they want to feel the same as everybody else but ha- how do we just go about you know. Do, do people do more deeper background checks? Do, do, you know, how do we, how do we try to avoid stuff like this?
1: Well, I, I think by just integrating more women into, you know, our work atmosphere, and I, I guess my solution would be, you know, working in minor league baseball is, you know, having more women executives and having more women employees and making sure that it's more 50-50 so they don't feel outnumbered. So they can create an alliance with each other and then they can have a group and they can feel comfortable and they don't feel like they're outnumbered. So um, I think in my industry, just getting more women involved and not make them feel like this is a good old boys club because it's not. And, yeah, you know, I think the Iowa Cups do a great job in that. We have you know, three women in the front office. You know, one's the director of media relations, one is one of our top saleswomen, and one's our merchandise director. And I think just having them in the office and getting that perspective and seeing them every day and having you know, normal work conversations that you know revolve around baseball and the business of minor league baseball, um, it, it's been important for me and and making sure that they feel comfortable, making a concerted effort that. They feel like they belong. So, just getting more women in in situations and in positions like that. I I, I totally agree, one thousand percent. More women involvement is the key, and and that's the same thing we said earlier. Like we wanted, I'm asking Americans to get involved in. In the sport of baseball you need more women involvement and if you get more women involvement and you get more female involvement then I feel like less less of these situations will, will, will occur and this has to this has to break. And that's what I, I truly think. Um obviously the Dodgers are 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 great. They're the dinner the champs. And I think the Dodgers have probably one of the best well run organizations in baseball because from top to bottom they're talented. Um and now you're seeing what's happening in um, San Diego. Do, do you think the Dodgers Padres rivalry is going to be one of the best in baseball this year? Because I say this because the Red Sox are down and the Yankees are good, so we can't have that. Um, Cubs Cardinals could be interesting, but depends on what the what the um, what the Cubs do this season. And then after that, I, I don't see any other rivalries that you know this year that could be good. Then dodgers Padres. Yeah, I, I think that dodgers Padres is definitely the, the 2021 rivalry when, when you put into context where both franchises are. I mean, the Dodgers coming off you know, their first World Series in 31 years and still having Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger in their prime, having you know, a, a sure-fire first ballot Hall of Fame starting pitcher in Clayton Kershaw and, and having a guy like Walker Bueller. I mean, they're still the Dodgers. They're still really talented and you have the youth revival of the San Diego Padres. You have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, and they just traded for you know, half the pitching staffs of all the minor <laughs> league, uh, all major league baseball. So um, I, I think that the Padres are putting themselves in position to finally compete with the Dodgers. Now, you know actions speak louder than words and trades. You actually have to do it. You have to take down the team who not only won the World Series, but over the last three years, they've been the best team in Major League Baseball by, I think, like, 22 games. Their regular season record is just absurd. So in order to be the best, you have to beat the best. And the Padres have to beat the best in the Dodgers. And, you know, fortunately, they're in the same
0: division. They're only an hour and a half away from each other. So it'll be a lot of fun. And this Padres rotation, right, is just awesome with, who they have in it, and then when you have next year, when you add Mike Clevelinger to that, and and you got their top prospect Mackenzie Gore, you got Lamette, you got Chris Paddock, you got Blake Snell, you got a, uh, oh, you got Joe Musgrove. I mean, arm at yeah. the arm at the arm to where I truly think that's the best rotation in baseball because. You got you got a couple number ones. You 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 got a couple number twos, a couple number threes on every rotation. No lower than a three. You know maybe Gore right now would be four, but he might project to a three or two. You know so how do you if you're the Dodgers if you're the Yankees teams with big lineups how do you how do you prepare for that knowing that you're going you're going up against the ace every single night.
1: Yeah, I, but there's a lot of other teams in baseball that, that have pitching rotation compositions that are similar. How about the Mets now, with, with, with Syndergaard, DeGrom, Marcus Stroman, yeah. uh, the trade that they made. I mean, they just got Francisco Lindor as well, so that helps the pitching staff. Carrasco. Defense, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, Carlos Carrasco, and uh, when Justin Verlander Burlander uh, Verlander, and Cole, and, and Houston, a lot of good starting pitchers in baseball right now, so I think that the Dodgers focus will be, hey, you know, if we go to Washington, we're going to have to face Scherzer and Strasburg. If we go to New York, we're going to have to face DeGrom and Syndergaard. And when you go to San Diego, you're going to have to face Nell, Paddock, and Mike Clevenger in 2022. So, you just prepare for the Padres like you would any other team that has a front-line rotation. Um, The other thing about Now have a look at the American League. It seems on paper that the Yankees, health-wise, and I say health-wise, if healthy is the best team in the American League, and if that's true, which team in the American League can challenge the Yankees? Because it seems like Houston might take a step back. The Rays are definitely going to take a step back. I don't think Toronto did enough to address their rotation. Um... I don't see anyone in the central except maybe maybe the other team in Chicago, the White Sox, Then I don't see any team out west. So it looks like it could be the Yankees' league to lose. What do you think? I think the Yankees on paper are really good. Uh, I think where I won't say they struggle, but, again, there's less of a margin for errors with their starting rotation. I mean, if they, if they get a couple injuries like they have in years past, And they're a little bit thin when it comes to starting pitching. Their bullpen's really good. Their lineup's really good. So I think starting pitching is the only thing that could be a miss from the Yankees. You think the Rays are going to take a step back? I mean, I think they could get top prospect in all of minor league baseball Wander Franco up by the end of the year. So, you know, he could be an addition to that lineup that maybe puts them over the top. I think Toronto can swing the bats with anybody, but I do agree that their starting rotation isn't nearly good enough to you know, it's to really compete day in and day out with teams like the Rays and teams like the Yankees. But you know, if they go through a stretch where they're scoring six or seven runs per game over a month, it's not going to matter who their starting pitching is. Uh, Houston, they're not going to have Justin Verlander. Um, so it, 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 it'll be interesting to see what they do without George Springer, if the offense can still be as good as they've been in years past. Give out the White Sox. Uh, I think their lineup's really good. I think getting Liam Hendricks in the back end of their bullpen is really going to help. Uh, but you brought, yeah, the starting pitching. Yeah, hopefully, Dallas Keuchel could be Dallas Keuchel of last year and not 2019. So he's a big X factor when it comes to that. And, and then there's the Angels, who, who have the best player in all of Major League Baseball, Mike Trout. They, they signed Anthony Rendon to a $250 million deal. They have one of the most transcendent stars in all of baseball worldwide. And Shohei Ohtani, if they could somehow quit, which they haven't in the last decade, but if they could somehow quit, the Angels will be fun to watch and could be interesting when it comes to you know, September and October. And we're talking about teams in the playoffs and those who could contend with the Yankees. All right, now you ready for some rapid fire, my friend? Let's, let's do it, man. I'm excited. All right. Um, do you think... Um, do you think that the that, we're, we'll, that the major league baseball will approve of a DH this season University for twenty twenty one? Yes, yeah, I do. Okay. Um. Do you think that we're gonna have we're gonna start the season on time one hundred sixty two, or we're gonna delay the season have one hundred fifty four? I think we are going to delay the season, but still could have one sixty two. I think that, um, that every ballpark in the, ma- in the major leagues will at least have fans in some capacity. And I say some, yes. I don't mean like, yes? Full capacity. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that uh, every single team in baseball will be allowed to have 30,000 fans. But do I think that every team will have some component of fans, whether that's socially distanced, just family, employees? Yes, I do. Two quick, two quick ones. Um, do you think that they will have a finally for the first time since '81? We'll have a Yankee dodgers World Series. No, but we might. Uh, but I mean, I I don't think the Dodgers are going back to the World Series. Ooh, and ooh, I like it. it, it, it Why? It, it's so tough. To, it's so tough to do it. It, it really is. To be able to have that that proverbial target on the back, you just won, um, and, and just odds wise, probability wise, it's not going to happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the math and say that it won't. And the last question: Who do you have in the Super Bowl? What's the score? Now you got to the real fun. Uh, I, I had Chiefs over the Bucks. Oh. 30, ooh.
0: 34, 27. And Andy oh. gets the second consecutive
1: Super Bowl. Now, what was the score again? I like that. 34.27. 34.27. 34. Ooh, I like it. I like you, that. You, I you, you that. You know Patrick Alex? The MVP. Y- you, uh... Patrick <laughs> the MVP. I mean, they just get the, they get the best quarterback. They get the quarterback of the team that wins the MVP. I mean, unless there's a, you know, somebody who, you know, Tyron Matthew, who runs back two interceptions for a touchdown, or Tyreek Hill, had 250 yards in the first quarter like he did against Tampa Bay when they played in, in Week 11. But I, I, I'm i going to go with Patrick Mahomes as the MVP and the Chiefs winning 34-27.
0: You know, Alex, You know there was 47 minutes. No, no, no. 40, 47 minutes and ten seconds of greatness. I I think you took a bath there. Um, I am a Patriots fan, so I am going all Brady. And you know what? I mean, I I think the guy is pretty good. You know, he's uh, I I think he's won six Super Bowls. You know, he uh won one four Super Bowl MVPs, three three regular season MVPs. You know, he he did throw the same number of touchdowns. That Patrick Mahomes threw this year. And he's 43 years yeah. old. So I...
1: yeah, it's great. I mean, he's the best quarterback of all time. But yeah, you know, I, I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, well-oiled machine, with Patrick Mahomes as the starting quarterback. I think they're 17-1 and one in their last 18 games. It's silly what they're doing. And in the games that Patrick Mahomes has lost in his career the offense is still averaging 31.3 points per game. So I'm not saying that Mahomes is the GOAT by any means. Uh, Tom Brady's the GOAT. And even if Tom Brady loses this game, he's the GOAT. That's true. Uh, but what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing offensively and what Patrick Mahomes, how he's been able to sustain this level of success throughout the first two and a half years of his career, it's been so much fun to watch. It'll be a great Super Bowl. Absolutely, and before we get you out of here, Alex, tell the people where they can find you and where, where we can listen to you announcing the games for the Chicago Triple AAA affiliate. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me online on Twitter at, at voiceofcohen, Um You can also follow us on www.iowacups.com. You can click the Listen Live link if you're in Iowa and 940. Um, And then uh, just on the tune-in radio, follow Iowa Cubs, and you'll be able to listen to us for all 140 games. Um, And and then if you want to have the MILB.tv package, we'll have all of our home games on that as well. So that should do it.
0: And just a tweet from Tim Britton, who covers the Mets, Mickey Callaway was hired by Sandy Alderson, so it's just it's just another another small tie in with the Mets, and you know I I want to get to a point where we have to stop saying you know protect protect defend treat women in sports amazing or or you know what just women in general you know it it shouldn't matter what they wear it shouldn't matter what they say. You know, stop stop being horny devils. Stop stop treating them like, like, like they owe you something. And just, God damn it, treat them with respect.
1: Yeah, it, it should be as simple as that, but it's not. And that's the real unfortunate part of
0: all this. Well, Alex, Absolutely. thank you for coming on. Take care, man, and enjoy the rest of your night
1: appreciate the time, guys. Uh, stay dry. I know that uh, you're getting a snowstorm back east. So, oh, bunch. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> sho- hopefully you can shovel your way out of this. But, yeah, no, I appreciate the time, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. No problem.